reading and the preaching of your word. And may your spirit descend upon all those who preach or teach this day all around the world. You being omnipresent, your spirit being omnipresent, bring the blessing that you intended when your word and your promises were written. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen. Tail end of summer, I want to preach yet one more time on an Old Testament personage. And the individual this week and next week bears the name Samson. His story is well known. He was one of the judges that God appointed after Moses had brought them through the 40 years in the wilderness and after Joshua leads them through the flooded waters of the Jordan River, those waters separating as did the waters of the Red Sea. And then God bringing them to the great walled city of Jericho. Eighteen feet tall, those walls, doubly thick, six feet wide, an impregnable city, until the man of God stands in front of Joshua and says to him, Go around the city six times, one time each day. Speak not a word, blow the ram's horn, but speak not a word. And then on the seventh day you go around Jericho seven times. And when you come around the last time, you blow the ram's horns and you shout the name of Jehovah. And the walls come tumbling down. And when the Israelites bypass then Jericho and go into the land of Canaan, their conversation is like this with the Canaanites. Show us how to raise our crops. What should we plant? When should we plant it? How should we rotate? How should we fertilize? Where is the irrigation? And the Canaanites say to their new quote-unquote friends, We will show you how to do this husbandry. And then the Israelites said, Tell us about our flocks, our herds, our goats. Tell us where best to feed them, how to raise them. How often does it rain here? What's the best feed? And the Canaanites said to the Israelites, here's how you do that. One after another, conversations came up, and then the Canaanites said to the Israelites, come into our house, we have a festival for this God of ours. Come into our house and join us. And I'm sure at the beginning the Israelites said, no, we can't do that. We worship Jehovah God. But as the months and years go by, they find their way into the homes and they're worshiping these gods. And they say, it's all right. Our God understands it's all right. There's no plague on the land like there was in the wilderness. No enemies have come against us. This is all right. And then God finally did what God does, Isaiah 59, 2. Thy sin, O Israel, has separated thee from God. He cannot see your face any longer. He cannot bless you. Your sin has gotten in between you and God. And then God says, I will appoint judges in the land. We're talking 12, 1300, 1400 B.C. I will appoint judges in the land. They will serve two purposes. 
They will bring my people back to the worship of Jehovah. And they will guard and protect my children from the Philistines. Othniel, the first judge. Judges chapter 4. Ehud kills Eglon. Judges chapter 4. A female judge, Deborah. She routes Sisera and his army. And then you have the mighty Gideon. Judges chapter 6 through 9. Gideon against the Midianites, greatly outnumbered, but he has God. And now we come to Judges 13 through 16, and it is the name of the one known as Samson. You know about him. He follows along the line of Moses opening the waters of the Red Sea, and Daniel standing in the lion's den, and now you have Samson. He kills a lion with his bare hands. He takes the jawbone of an ass and he kills a thousand Philistine soldiers. You know about Samson, the prostitute Delilah, tricking him into revealing his secret and his hair is cut. And they capture him and they blind him. And they have him work in the fields like some animal. And every once in a while they would... Bring him to the temple of Dagon. And as would be the case with David and Goliath, Goliath mocking God and mocking the Israelites, so they would bring Samson to the temple of Dagon, where the God of the Philistines was worshipped. And they would mock him and they would torture him and they would curse God. You know the final act of Samson's life, where he stands between two wooden pillars... And he asked God, perhaps for the first time in his life, he asked God to descend upon him, to give him strength one more time. And blind Samson pushes against those pillars. And 3,000 Philistines die in that temple. You know about Samson. What made him tick? How could a man who started so well end so poorly? How could he, as he left home for the very first time, how could he instantly forget all of the things his parents had taught him? How could he so quickly forget that Jehovah God had appointed him as the judge of the Israelites? Why did he have such a weakness for women How did he end up in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame chapter? How does Samson end up right next to Abraham and Moses and David and all the rest? He ruined so much. How does he end up in Hebrews chapter 11? If I ask you, one of the greatest exhibits of the mercy of God... And one of the most astonishing faith that ever was procured in the Bible. Would you understand that I'm looking at the thief hanging next to Jesus on the cross? You guys are raised in Christian homes. The thief on the cross most likely was not. And even if he was, he was a prodigal son to the nth degree. A prodigal son to the point he's going to hang on the cross for his crimes. 
And on that cross, he who was blind all of his life now sees. He sees the one hanging next to him, and he says to this one, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Does Jesus turn him away? Heart of Jesus is touched, says to the thief on the cross, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Samson was that individual in many, many ways. He is brought up in a Christian home, I'll explain shortly. But he forgets instantly everything he was taught. You sang in that sermon hymn that God has a purpose for us. God appointed Samson for a specific purpose. And Samson looked at the purpose God had assigned him. And he snickered and he turned his back and he walked away. The only prodigal son in the Bible is not in Luke 15. There are hundreds of prodigal sons in the Bible. And Samson is one of them. At the end of his life when he's blind and he's standing in the temple of Dagon... He calls upon God, as I said, for perhaps the first time in his life, he calls upon God. And he says, give me strength one more time, that I might avenge myself. For those who have blinded me, he doesn't say that I may avenge you, O God. He says that I might avenge myself. David, when he goes against Goliath, he says... I am doing this because they have mocked and cursed God. Samson, when he asked God to come, he does it because they've harmed Samson. And what does God do for this prodigal son who even at his last prayer is not really thinking about the honor of God, but the honor of Samson? What does God do? He does as readily to Samson as he does to the thief on the cross. He forgives him. He empowers him with his strength. And how do we know that Samson is saved? How do we know that Samson is up there in heaven? Because he's in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham sins. He's in heaven. Moses sins, he's in heaven. Every single individual in Hebrews chapter 11 has fallen into sin. Some of the greatest nature. And yet God's greatest act is what? His son's death on that cross. For what purpose? To forgive sins. To save his prodigal sons and daughters and you looked at one when you looked at yourself in the mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw a prodigal son that his blood saves. Samson. He's much like you and I. Sometimes you read the stories of David and Abraham and Moses and we say... They're untouchable. I can never be like them. They are special cases. They are superstar status. And I'm just a regular person. Abraham was called a friend of God. The only one so designated in the Bible. The friend of God. Moses is the only one in the Bible who saw God face to face and he lived. 
there on Mount Sinai. And David has an appellation. He is called the man after God's own heart. These are great stories. We profit from them. But they don't seem too much like us. Bring on Samson. And when you see Samson, you and I see ourselves. Raised in a godly home by Manoah and his wife. So were we. Great expectations were placed upon him. We have expectations placed upon us by parents and grandparents, by our spouses, by our friends, by ourselves. He had a great addiction. So do we in various many areas. He struggled with the nastiest temper to be found in the Bible. He had a ravenous desire not to exhibit mercy or forgiveness. He had a ravenous desire for revenge. And being one with the strength that Samson had, when he went after vengeance, the stories are there in the Bible, but they are not often preached about. We understand Samson. He'd be a baby boomer materialistic to the nth degree, heavily into lifestyle issues. He desired self-fulfillment above everything else. He had no loyalty to anybody or anything, not to his parents, not to his friends, not to his village, not to his God. No loyalty to anyone except Samson himself. He craved the applause of people Two instances he exhibits what one would assume is mercy, but it wasn't really mercy because there was a political reason behind his action, and he expected something in return. And if he didn't get what he expected in return, then the road rage within him was like an atomic bomb going off. Micah, the prophet, come 600, 700 years after Samson. And he says this, Three things does God require of you. It was a school theme some three years ago. Three things does God require of you. That you act justly, Samson. That you love mercy, Samson. And that you walk humbly with your God, Samson. And the great judge of the Israelites gets an F in each category. He never looked at a human being as his equal. He looked down upon them as if they were his slaves and peons. Mercy... Nowhere in his vocabulary, except for a political reason and the desire for praise. To walk humbly with God when you are the strongest person on this earth, when you can kill a lion with your bare hands, 
when the women are all over you, when you can take the jawbone of a dead donkey and slay a thousand, when you have the strength that Samson had, there is no humility to be found. You and I, as we head off to school, high school, as we head off to football practice, as we head off to the marching band practice. You and I, as we head off to college on August the 16th, as we get together with our fraternity brothers for the first time in three months, you and I, as we head back onto the metro train, as we, this afternoon, are with family members that we've married into, You and I, as we stand at a gas station and talk with the clerk, you and I, as we're talking over the back fence with the neighbor who needs a little bit of help with something, you and I, as we live this day, the first day of August, 2021, not knowing what the day holds, but knowing that God knows, and He already has circumstances and people that we're meant to bump into, including people here in the church at this service, God says to you, three things I require of you today. That you act justly. That you treat every person the way you would want to be treated. That you love showing mercy. And that you walk with great humility in front of God. What I have and what you have has nothing to do with our intellect, our connections, our charisma, our personality. It has everything to do with God. Love, mercy. You see someone with a flat tire out there, what keeps you from driving into Myers' parking lot and getting out of your car? and walking over to this individual to see if they could use any help. If you're in the hospital, and you're there visiting some loved one, and you're sitting in the waiting room, and you see someone else in greater grief and shock than you are, what keeps you from going to that individual and say, do you mind? Do you mind? What keeps you from saying to some individual after you've provided some help or aid to them, what keeps you from saying to them, I'm going to pray for you. What keeps you from saying, God be with you? This whole injunctive that Micah has, that you act justly, that you love mercy, that you walk humbly with your God, it is a recurring theme in the Bible. The Bible says there are three reasons that the Bible exists. The first is doctrine or teaching. The other three to show you the way of righteousness, to provide correction, to provide instruction. Jesus' first sermon, Blessed are the merciful. His last sermon, Blessed are those who have fed the hungry, given drink to the thirsty. You and I have a purpose. And that purpose is not necessarily to be what was read in Ephesians 4, He appointed some to be prophets and preachers and teachers. Your purpose is in Micah. To act justly. 
To not look at a person and see color, size, shape, sex. To look at a person and say, God's put him in my path at this moment. Your purpose to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Samson. His birth was announced by the angel of the Lord. Only three times in the Bible does an angel announce a birth. Here was Samson, Samuel's mother Hannah, and then the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary. Samson's birth was announced by the angel of the Lord. His mission in life was declared, verse 3 and 5, Before he was ever born, God assigned him a purpose. He was raised by godly parents, so godly that in verse 8 it says, Manoah and his wife asked the angel of God to come down a second time and instruct them as to how they should raise their child. And then there was one other event in Samson's life that no one except Jesus ever experienced. Verse 24, verse 25, Judges 13 He was blessed by God. He was blessed by God. God puts his hand upon Samson and he blesses him. God would say about Jesus, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is blessing Samson. And then it says the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. Jesus is baptized. Holy Spirit comes upon him. Samson is the only other one so designated as to receive both a blessing from God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If he had a beginning unmatched, where did he go wrong? One thing I want to mention to talk about for a few moments. And then next week, others. He went to the wrong place. My father, whenever I went out on a date, whenever I went anywhere, whenever I went to work, when I went off to college, whenever I went anywhere, my father would say, remember who's with you. And when you're 18 years of age, you know, you don't really want to hear that. Remember who's with you. As you get older, it becomes a powerful part of your life, remembering who's with you. Samson went to the wrong place. Bible says when he left home for the first time, he heads to Timnah, the Philistine village. And when he heads to Timnah, he's heading to his enemies. His parents knew his temperament. They knew that if they told him anything, he'd do something else. His parents knew that if they said anything to him, he would explode. So they kept it kind of quiet. But the Bible says, Manoah said to him, Why in the world are you going to Timnah to look for a wife? You have godly women here. There are no godly women down there. Those are the Philistines. Samson goes to Timnah to look for a wife. There are holy places on this earth. Matthew 12, 28. 
wherever the Spirit of God is, the kingdom of God is, there are holy places on this earth. Wherever you go, and you have the Spirit of God with you, that's a holy place. But there are dark places on this earth. My parents prayed that God would keep me away from dark places. I've told you before that the day my father died when he was 87, the very first thought in my mind was not that my dad is gone, that my dad is dead, that my dad's in heaven. My first thought is, he prayed for me every single day, and he's not praying for me anymore, at least not down here. My father would pray, as would my mother, keep Paul away from dark places. And your parents could pray the same thing, and you guys pray the same thing for your children. Heavenly Father, as they grow up, keep them away from dark places. God is a holy God. He can't be in places that are unholy. When he says to Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you 99.9% of the Garden of Eden, but there's one little tiny portion of the garden I don't want you to go into. I don't want you to touch the fruit. I don't want you to eat of it. And where do Adam and Eve go? They go to the one tiny dark place in the Garden of Eden. And they converse with Satan, and the longer they talk with him, the greater the danger they're in. Do we not pray for our sons and daughters and our grandchildren? Do we not pray, Lord, keep them safe? Give them the right friends. Keep them out of dark places. Keep them away from alcohol and drugs. Keep them away from the wrong set of friends. Do we not pray that? Samson's parents prayed that, and Samson heads straight to the dark place. Gary Smitke will be listening to this later on in Indiana. Hi there, Gary, Dorothy. Gary preached some 15 years ago. He told me he didn't remember it, uh, but he preached some 15 years ago. When people head to dark places like alcohol or drugs or pornography, when they head to dark places, tempers that cannot be controlled and tongues that always say the hurtful thing, Smithkey said, I don't, uh, I don't judge them because every one of us has an area of weakness, area of sin. And then Gary Smithkey said, whatever the area of sin is, God is sufficient. Whatever the area of sin is, God is more than sufficient. When Adam and Eve went to the dark place and they talked to Satan in the garden, and they fell. Did God abandon them? God so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son. When Abraham fell, when Moses fell, when Simon Peter fell, when the Apostle Paul was Saul, and he was destroying Christianity, did God ever abandon them? Did He abandon Samson? When Samson went to the darkest of all places, and the answer is no, he never abandons his children. Jesus' death on the cross secures our salvation and our transformation. 
on the last day of his life, thief on the cross comes verbally to the faith. On the last day of his life, Samson, who spent some 80 years of his life walking away from God, on the last day of his life, he is calling God's name. And Manoah and his wife up in heaven, they finally said, we planted the seed and it took 80 years to grow. But it came on this day when he asked God to come and give him strength one more time. As you guys head off to school, God be with you. As you head off anywhere tomorrow morning, God be with you. Stay on the path of righteousness. Don't get off into the dark places. And if you already are or have been, Samson, thief on the cross, trillions of others, but speak his name. And the Father comes. Samson. Good Lord willing, next week, Samson part two. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, I kept thinking as we sang the sermon hymn, well, that's Samson, verse one. That's Samson in verse two. That's Samson in verse three. He had a purpose in the very last day of his life. He served God's purpose. Did God say to Samson, you wasted the extraordinary talent I gave you. You wasted the blessing. You wasted the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Did God say that to Samson? No. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. And Samson is in heaven. Because in the darkest places, Psalm 139, the darkest places we can ever go, God's light is already there, shining. Deliver us from evil, Lord, and if we fall, and when we fall, lift us up, cleanse us, put us on the path once again that you would have your children walk. Such things we ask in our Lord's name. Amen.